Christopher Brenna. I'm Andrew Kuzma. And this is Strange Religion. So Jehovah's Witnesses are a strange bunch. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we could... I feel like we could do an entire season on Jehovah's Witnesses because each of the things that I know about them are enough for an entire episode. I mean, how much do you, I don't know that much about them. So the one thing that I always knew about them from when I was a little kid, because I knew a kid that went to my school was Jehovah's Witness, is that they don't celebrate birthdays or any holiday. He would sort of just, he would just get some random presents around his birthday time, but it wasn't for his birthday. And then he wouldn't have a party. Yeah. You get the presents. I don't, I've never really liked birthday parties that much, but so I think I'd be okay with that. Serena Williams is a Jehovah's Witness, right? The tennis player. I think she is. Well, one of the things that is very hard for her then is I think you're supposed to, if you're Jehovah's Witness, you're supposed to limit the amount of, associations you have with other people you're not supposed to have bad associations yeah also little known tennis rule but you are supposed to let blood in between sets so <laughs> you're just supposed to like onto the yeah. court or i well, i think they have one of those you know like they have a ball boy i think they have a blood boy too sure and, sure what's well, an ancient tradition tennis oh well, yeah it goes yeah. back thousands of years uh they don't they don't serve in the military they do not uh, salute the flag of their country. They don't sing the national anthem and they don't vote. So when I was a kid, I knew them as the people who came door to door. Sure. The people you yeah. did not open the door for. Right. Oh, check to see if it's Jehovah's Witness. Or oh, yeah. it was just a Jehovah's Witness. Looking back, it was kind of dehumanizing. Like, Yeah, that's a big bummer. They're just trying was, their best. I mean, it was like, don't open the door. Yeah. It's those people. Maybe we should like give the the first few sentences of Wikipedia definition of Jehovah's Witness. We could. I think it's yeah. really uh, there's two terms in the definition that are probably a bit arcane for most people, so it'd be good to explain them. Yeah. So do you want to do that? Sorry, I don't. I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> can you? <laughs> yeah, I can do that. Um, okay. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses is a millenarian. Restorationist Christian denomination with non-Trinitarian beliefs. So three parts to that would be... Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, so millenarian means that they... Um, basically that the end of the world is nigh. The end is near. The millennium, if you will. Yeah. And restorationist is a broader movement in America that encompasses a lot of denominations that are Trinitarian and probably more like what most people think Christians are. And it's a particularly American phenomenon, right? The uh, Restorationist. It's not... Yeah. It's primarily yeah. American, right? Alexander Campbell and all the guys that basically said, well, we just need to get back to the primitive church. We need to get back to the New Testament church and, and stop all of this Back to the Ex- basics, back to the way it was, right. restore all that, and things will no, be okay. Right, no extra stuff. By the way, they have predicted the end of the world a few times, <laughs> and uh, obviously have been incorrect. Uh, that has not stopped them. I think they still sometimes... All right. I mean, they've been doing... They're still around. They seem to be doing well, as far as I can tell 
Yeah, I guess so. Um, the, so the the military service and the holidays and the not voting and things like that, that it's actually all tied together. And it's all based on this idea that they, they believe that Satan is real and that Satan is actually the ruler of earth right now. And so all of the religions and governments and commercial institutions and the media are being used by Satan to mislead and corrupt people. And so okay. you can vote if you want, but it's not going to do any good because Satan's running everything. And so, you know, sure. that's sort I mean, of the... that's... <laughs> it doesn't seem so crazy right now. <laughs> it's more believable than it has been in recent decades. But actually, I mean, I mean, we're going to talk about medical cases. We're going to talk about court cases. This is sort of explains some of the orientation that they have toward all of this stuff. No, it's providing good context. Yeah. And ultimately, what we're going to talk about, the strange thing we're going to talk about today is that Jehovah's Witnesses neither accept blood transfusions nor do they allow their blood to be taken from their bodies. Well, they don't, they don't give blood. They wouldn't go to a blood drive and, and donate blood. Right. We don't either for different reasons. I'm just a bad citizen. Um, and I think... You have like bird veins, don't you? Yeah, they're super hard to find. I mean, that's not a good excuse. I am capable of giving blood. I just make excuses. Like, yeah, and I feel bad about it, well, but I still haven't done it in almost 10 years now, now that I think of it. I think I gave blood maybe about five years ago, uh, which does not put me ahead of you because I don't even have the guilt. I don't even, I just sort of like, well, I guess I don't do that. But if you did it, I feel like that puts you ahead of me. I guess like, so. Maybe someday I'll I just, just feel a bad about idea. it. I'm still, yeah. I'm still not doing it. But I mean, they reject accepting blood. They accept giving blood. And what they reject is whole blood. So like if you or I were to go and give blood, and you would jab a needle in our arm and we would just give blood as it's flowing through our veins and we'd go into a bag. That's whole blood. Uh, they also reject using or giving the components of blood, which would be red cells, white cells, platelets, and plasma. So you can't go give plasma, even though you're getting your red blood cells back. No, you can't, because that is a one of the primary components of blood, and they reject that too. They reject receiving it or giving it. Now, things they might accept, or it gets a little fuzzy, is where you are the fractionation of blood, so the separating of blood. And there are certain fractions which are basically components of those primary components. So some of the proteins found in blood plasma, that might be acceptable. So for instance, in a pregnancy where the mother's blood type is incompatible with the infant's blood type or the fetus's blood type, they might give the mother an immunoglobulin or it's just called RH immunoglobulin rogam. Uh, if a woman has received rogam to prevent her body's antibodies from reacting to the fetus's blood cells to uh, keep everybody healthy, that they would accept. Huh. And certain hemophiliac preparations they would accept. So sort of subcomponents of the blood would be acceptable, but not those primary components. And not all of, not all fractions would be acceptable. 
some of them are. Well, how come, why is it some and not others? Maybe because it's not a primary component of blood. Because proteins can be found in lots of things. And so even if you're getting the protein from blood, it's not a necessary, I mean, it's a necessary component of blood, but it's, it's not one of those main four components. I'm guessing now. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, they will submit to surgeries as long as they're bloodless surgeries. So what does that mean? So it's just a surgery that can be conducted without the use of a blood transfusion. Apparently, it would be something where you're not going to bleed out if this gets cut into this part of your abdomen. I mean, I think part of it is just a risk. I think there's a lot of surgeries that you don't necessarily need blood for, like blood transfusion for. But if something goes wrong, if you start bleeding, then you would need it. Sure. And they're just saying, hey, just forget it. <laughs> it'll be fine. Be right. <laughs> don't worry about it. Okay. So you're bleeding out. Mm. No, I think it's okay. It's okay. It's fine. I feel funny. I got it. Uh, so medical, there's been some specific medical cases that have been con- controversial, we'll call it, because sure. of the parties involved and the ethics of it. And, and potentially devastating. I mean, so from the Jehovah's Witness point of view, if one of their members accepts a blood transfusion. That person has made the choice of disfellowshipping. Essentially, that person has kicked him or herself out of the community because this is something that is forbidden, it's prohibited. And so if you accept it knowingly, then you are removing yourself from the community. Like they don't have to remove you, you're doing it yourself. Automatic excommunication. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they would put it that way, but yeah, essentially, you're you're choosing to do it. You know it's wrong. You're choosing to do it, and so you've kicked yourself out. Now that makes the most sense when it's an adult, right? If you have an adult who is in a car accident, is conscious, and says refuses a blood transfusion, you know, is taken to the emergency room, refuses blood transfusion, within full you know capacity, dies rather than go against his or her faith. Now that's upsetting um, and tragic. Healthcare givers have trouble with that because you have somebody who is in an emergency situation choosing to die. They're rejecting what is an emergency procedure, but in the scheme of things, relatively routine. Like it's not an experimental surgery. It's a blood transfusion. Where things get more tricky is where you have a minor. Let's say you have somebody who's under 18 who's in a car accident and wants to refuse blood transfusions. Can you go against that person's wishes, that child's wishes? Or what if you have a child who is eight or nine, has leukemia, has some sort of blood illness, and could be treated with blood transfusions, and the child's parents refuse? As the healthcare giver, do you abide by the parent's wishes, or do you say this is a standard procedure? And you are putting your child's life at risk. I mean, the child will die. Can we accept that? Or do we go to court and have you accused of child abuse or child endangerment, override your wishes, and give the child a blood transfusion? And this has happened, right? Many times. Many times. And then the other thing has happened, basically, that a physician has gotten an order that countermands the parent's wishes. He gives the blood transfusion, and then the parents sue in court, I guess either the physician or the hospital, on the grounds of that their First Amendment rights were violated. 
And I mean, parents have legal authority, legal, legal decision-making authority over their children's health care. I mean, there's lots of things you wouldn't necessarily want done to your child. It's just that this is considered standard medical procedure. And there are some, there's a lot of states in America that have religious exemptions. So you can win in a court case like that, or you could not be um, like brought up on charges. If you're a parent and your child dies for whatever religious reason, you might not necessarily be charged with child neglect. Yeah. And it's interesting the way that the Jehovah's Witnesses, so I surfed around a little bit on their website, which is lovely. And, uh, oh, by the way, non sequitur, there's a Jehovah's Witnesses convention, which is called the Watchtower, uh, every year in the, in the town that I live. And there's a dude that sells suits in one of the malls that's attached to the place where these guys meet. And he sells like, he sells like 50% of the suits he sells all year when the week that the Jehovah's Witnesses are there, they're snappy dressers. That just makes me nervous. Like, what if he, what if they move the convention? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm nervous for that guy. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's his ink. That's his livelihood. Yeah, he gears up. Right there. He does. He, like, yeah. the week before, he knows when they're coming and, you know, he gets all of his stuff, but they are snappy dressers. Like, you see him walking down the street. It's like, wow. Okay. Yeah. But I guess if you believe the, either the end of the world is coming really soon or there's a good chance you're going to bleed out, probably want to look your best for now. Well, I mean, the question of autonomy you know, is a very big question in medical ethics, healthcare ethics. And if it's an adult, uh, you might not agree with the person's decision, but you could accept it. Like, well, this is an adult. I, I wouldn't do this. I don't like it, but it's this person's choice. It's his or her body. You know, we should follow his or her wishes, but should parents have the ability to do that? Right. Yeah. To say, no, don't give my nine-year-old blood. Yes, it would save his or her life, but uh, it's against our religion. Right. And especially if the child is unconscious. So you oh, yeah. Can't, there's no chance for the child to be like, uh, actually, I think I would like some blood. I think I would like that. Well, if it's a child, like a child, you know, doesn't have autonomy, really, or at least you have to prove that the child is a sort of a mature mental capacity. But you wouldn't accept the child refusing surgery if the child was eight years old for the most part. 16, 17, maybe. Yeah, that'd be a, it's a sticky wicket. What they say on their website about this particular issue is, uh, I'll quote here, they say, naturally, all parents make decisions affecting their children's safety in life. Will the family use gas or oil to heat the home? Will they take a child on a long-distance drive? May he go swimming? Such matters involve risks, even life and death ones. But society recognizes parental discretion, so parents are granted the major voice in nearly all decisions affecting their children. And that is something that is generally accepted in our society. They're not wrong. Now, most people don't equate that with refusing a what's considered a standard medical procedure yeah and they the other thing that because i think that's a little bit of a that's a slippery turn in rhetoric to be honest yelling your child go swimming is not the same as saying eh, don't give my child blood that's going to keep him or her alive right, nobody's forcing you not to take a long distance drive with your child the other thing they say is here's another quote they say many people agree that a court is no place for personal medical issues they're talking specifically about the court cases how would you feel if you chose antibiotic therapy, but someone went to court to force a tonsillectomy on you? 
A doctor may want to provide what he thinks is the best care, but he has no duty to seek legal justification to trample on your basic rights. And since the Bible puts abstaining from blood on the same moral level as avoiding fornication, wait for it, to force blood on a Christian would be the equivalent of forcible sex, rape. So a doctor is raping you if he makes you get a blood transfusion. The weird thing is, this is one paragraph. This is one paragraph. It starts out so seemingly normal. And then it sure. just goes really... So from taking a car trip to yeah. Dr. Rape. Yeah, Dr. Rape. And then the analogy they're making to antibiotic therapy versus tonsillectomy is not even a good analogy because this we're not they're not choosing between two kinds of treatment they're they're choosing between treatment or no treatment it does get at this um, classic balance in healthcare ethics between paternalism where the doctor decides what's best for you not the patient the patient doesn't decide what's best the doctor decides what's best and you shouldn't question the doctor and then patient autonomy on the other hand where the patient should have primary and total control over what happens to her body. And for the most part, we want to say, stick with autonomy. You know, there's, if somebody's unconscious, then we can assume the person wants to stay alive. And then there's a kind of paternalism there. But yeah, this is, this is not quite, it doesn't feel like the same thing. There's patients' bills of rights in every hospital now in the country, and you can refuse care. I mean, my wife's a nurse. She had people coming in who absolutely needed care, but they were poor decision makers and they just said, I want to get home. I don't want to be here anymore. They were dealing with mental health issues or whatever it was. And they just said, I want to be discharged. And they have to discharge you. If you don't want to be in the hospital, yeah. you can leave. And I'm generally okay with that. I mean, I wouldn't agree with it as, as a good decision, but I could accept it. But making that decision for a minor, I have a problem with. Well, I almost even too have a problem with, okay, you know you're not going to accept a blood transfusion. Let's say you're suffering from something where inevitably you need a blood transfusion to survive. Is it ethical to go to the hospital? Because you can think about it from the physician's perspective. There's this anecdote on one of their sites, on one of the Jehovah's Witnesses' site, where they tell about this physician who sat by his patient's bedside and watched him slowly bleed out. He just bled to death from yeah. a duodenal ulcer. So he had, a, he had an ulcer in his intestines, and he just, he just bled out because he refused blood. He was a Jehovah's Witness. So you think about this physician just sitting there having to watch this happen. Of course, you can't discharge this person and have them bleed to death on the street. But the alternative is watching them bleed to death in your hospital room. And that's horrifying. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's. I'm not saying it, it's pretty, but if the person's an adult, I think you have to stick with autonomy, like accept their decision that you disagree with. And that might not make sense to you. Yeah, certainly the decision to go off life support or, you know, refuse further intervention, medical intervention, because you just don't want to live anymore. That happens all the time. Yeah. This, for me, it just seems particularly brutal. Maybe it's just the 
the actual bleeding, the fact that someone's bleeding to death right in front of you and you're just watching the blood, you know, pour out. Maybe you're not watching it pour out, but I can't imagine. Well, I think I think the reasoning too is it's unless you're a Jehovah's Witness, the refusal of blood transfusions, the rejection of blood transfusions is just not that persuasive. Like if that's your personal faith, maybe it's very persuasive to you. If it's not, it just seems like a bad reason. And even hearing their justification of it doesn't sound that persuasive. But I have another case that's sort of interesting because it's it's kind of the opposite of what we've been talking about. Okay. Where refusing treatment, there is a patient. I'm looking, I'm thinking of a case where he a patient, he's an old man in his 70s. He's suffering from end-stage renal disease. He's been on dialysis, but he's getting worse and he needs a blood transfusion to survive. But he refuses that because he's a Jehovah's Witness. He goes into cardiac arrest and he's resuscitated. Now, knowing that he needs a blood transfusion and he refuses it, the doctor thinks he should sign a DNR, like do not resuscitate. The patient doesn't want to do that. He wants to keep being resuscitated. He refuses a blood he refuses a blood transfusion, which the doctor thinks is the only thing that's going to help him. And instead, he wants to keep being resuscitated. And the physician wants to cease treatment because, from his point of view, like there's something I can do for you. This goes against what I define as good medical practice to keep resuscitating you when it's just going to prolong your dying process. There's sillier examples that you could put out there that don't ex- actually exist that expose how ridiculous that sounds. You have you could have somebody whose intestines are hanging out and they keep going into, you know, they keep passing out. And every time they wake up, they say, well, I, I don't believe in inserting my intestines back into my body because my God, Gordang, Gordang the Mighty, says that once you're bowels fall, they should stay out. And that's a silly example, but yeah, what is the physician to do? At some point you just have to say, well, I can't, I'm not, I can't treat you. I think it's instructive because it does suggest at least that patient autonomy, patient decision-making should not be absolute. It's not as if patients can be sort of tyrannical in a hospital and anything the patient wants will happen. Like you can't ask a doctor to do something that is completely against the doctor's conscience and good medical standards, right? Like the, a patient couldn't ask again, like, I want you to amputate my legs. Like, I know there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah, I don't need them anymore. I want, want them. robot legs. And so this is my first step. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. A physician could refuse yeah. that, you know. By the way, you, we glossed over it, but so Jehovah's Witnesses can get dialysis. You just said that. Yeah. Well, they're not, they're just cleaning the blood out because the blood's going back into you. You're not storing it. It's going through a machine that's cleaning it, you know, let's putting it simply, and it's going back into you. So it's your blood just getting, you know, filtered and cleaned out a little bit and put back into you. That's okay. That's so interesting. Well, I feel like we've covered a lot of things. And this has been uh, mildly horrifying at times. This is strange, but it's a strange mix of strange. I think it's. I think what makes it so troubling is that there's 
there's some small kernel that you can agree with in it, even as somebody who's not a Jehovah's Witness. The idea that well, we don't want this thing done to us, and we think we have a right to refuse that. And there's something about that, even if you think, even if you don't agree with the rejection of blood transfusions, there is something about bodily autonomy, right? Something really basic there that you want to accept. And even when it's something horrifying, like saying, I want my small child to die because I'm making this decision for my child, there's something, some kernel of, well, parents should have a right to say what happens to their children, even if you disagree with it completely. I think what makes it troubling is that that small kernel that you agree with. On some level... If you've got a shot at determining the hour of your death, so to speak, there should be some, maybe not radical self-determination, but you should have some say in that. I don't know if I can get on board with the idea that someone should be allowed to bleed out, especially not in front of someone who is tasks, tasked with saving that person's life. But... I see what you're saying. I could I could maybe accept that. I, I couldn't accept it if no. it was a child. I couldn't accept yeah. that. From my own personal moral position, I could not accept that sort of religious exemption. Yeah, I hear you. The other thing that I would say that I'm strangely sympathetic to is their interpretation of the book of Acts and just coming back to the exegetical argument that they have. First of all, they're, the leap that they make, I think, is a, it's an illogical leap to go from don't eat things with blood in it to don't get infused with blood into your body or get it taken out. There's a, there's a leap there yeah. that I didn't see in any of what they said. I didn't see the explanation of how they got from, from A to Q. But when they talk about uh, Acts 15, 29, which is this thing where you know the Jewish Christians are meeting in Jerusalem and they're trying to figure out what to do with this influx of Gentile Christians. And so they basically say, well, we're just going to make four rules. You don't have to become circumcised, but we're going to give you these four rules for being a good Christian, even though you're not Jewish. Don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. Don't eat meat that's been strangled, which is kind of the same thing. Most most meat that had sacrificed to idols was strangled. Sure. But um, then don't, basically don't fornicate. Don't, don't sleep around outside of your marriage. And then uh, don't eat stuff with blood in it. So those are the four things. And modern Christians uh, just sort of incidentally don't do all four of those things. Well, fornication means... We kind of eat blood. Oh, definitely mean, sure. Well, yeah. So... Uh, Eating stuff with blood. Yeah, I guess uh, I mean, what I meant to say is, we basically don't have opportunity to do to do two of them. Nobody sacrifices meat to Ares 
anymore. And then, you know, you can't find that at your local butcher shop. Uh, Same thing with strangled meat. I suppose you could order, you know, we've, my family has ordered like part of a cow before. I suppose we could ask for it to be strangled, which would take a long time. Mm, That sounds, yeah, that sounds rough. I feel like it would be, (laughs) but I mean, the worst part would be if the guy is just like totally cool with it. Can you strangle the cow? Oh yeah. Yep. It's just really, that's not a weird, I'll just throw it in. I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. But so, I mean, there's sort of two that don't really happen anymore. And then the other two, I would argue one of them, probably most Christians are not good at avoiding. Let's be honest. And then the other one is eating blood, which Christians sort of eat whatever they want. Most Christians. Yeah. So I, I think there's this sort of, there's this sort of honesty to their exegesis of this, where they basically say, look, there's these four things we're not supposed to do that every Christian, no Christian is ever supposed to do. And people are ignoring, the vast majority of Christians are ignoring one of them. They're just eating blood. They don't care. And I've, you can listen to most modern Christian interpretations of this from biblical scholars, and they'll just say, well, that was, that was sort of a local incident. You know, that's not, it doesn't really apply to the Christian church anymore. And, you know, there's other ta- texts, especially even in Acts, that balance this out. You know, Peter has this vision. Sure. Where he's supposed to eat all these animals that are unclean. So, but I think there's, it's almost, admirable how they read this and they really want to take it at face value. I think they've taken the the eating blood part and made a really strange rule out of it that's harmful and just nonsensical. But the parody well, that they're I think that's trying to achieve is mm. you know, I it's something. I think that leap though is what I one of the reasons I'm not sympathetic towards it, especially for children. I mean, for me, for an adult, it's it's not even that I respect the religious decision. It's more that I respect that adult's personal decision as an adult. But as somebody who's theologically literate, that leap from not eating blood to refusing an injection of blood to keep you alive, like that is a leap. And I just don't buy that argument. Like, okay, eating, okay, if you, if you were just not going to eat blood sausage, uh, if you made sure your meat was specially prepared that you would not be eating blood, okay, I can understand that interpretation, but it's a leap to equate eating with having it put in your body to keep you alive. Like that is a, oh, yeah. that's an interpretation and it's a very creative interpretation. Yeah, I agree. Here ends the podcast of Strange Religion. If you listen to us on Anchor.fm, be sure to leave us a voicemail with your comments or questions about this episode. You can find us online at our blog at keepreligionstrange.com. You can leave comments for us there. We will probably ignore them. Uh, I tweet at CJ Brenna on Twitter if you're into that. You can also find our Twitter account at Strange Religion. 
And you can find us on Facebook at Strange Religion Podcast. You can also email us at Strange Religion Podcast at gmail.com. So join us again next week for another episode of Strange Religion. And until then, remember, keep the faith and keep it strange. And now I approach the altar. I know my God will see the good in me. It is my destiny. Strange religion